0: Welcome to this month's episode of the BookNet Canada podcast. I'm your host, Zelina Alvey, and this month we have Jordan Bass from McSweeney's, talking about how they approach repurposing content. Jordan will actually be with us in Toronto next week for Tech Forum, our annual conference on books and technology, as part of a panel on repurposing content. So I thought it would be nice to get a little meta and have him repurpose some of those thoughts for the podcast. If you're not familiar with McSweeney's, they're a non-profit publishing house based in San Francisco, That was founded by Dave Eggers in 1998. Starting with a literary journal Timothy McSweeney's Quarterly Concern, they've since grown to publish books, a magazine, and daily nuggets of literature and humor online and McSweeney's internet tendency. So there are no strangers to juggling content across multiple platforms. Now, here's Jordan to tell us more about how they've approached repurposing content across those platforms and others outside of their wheelhouse.
1: My name is Jordan Bass. Uh, I started, I was in back in 2005 and worked there in sort of various editorial capacities, mainly focused on the short story quarterly for eight or nine years after that and more recently in, in the last few years uh, had shifted over onto the organizational side, I suppose, and took on the publisher role and was... Manning that desk until a little earlier this year, where uh I stepped away from the day to day and and uh and, and 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 now sort of uh cheering on a new generation
2: so you'll be talking about repurposing content at Tech forum next week, so I'm interested in hearing a little bit about how McSweeney's approaches that um I know you guys publish a lot of content on different platforms, books periodicals online um so in general, how much of that content is unique to each channel, and how much gets repurposed? Would you say?
1: Yeah, I would say for a long time it was it was not a focus of McSweeney's. the 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 practice was often not not to really ask for any subsidiary rights, in a lot of the contracts for for McSweeney's projects, the, a lot of the titles would come out in hard hardcover editions, and then the the paperbacks might. Go to another publisher. So even even that standard kind of repurposing was was not not something that we were concentrating our limited resources on. The emphasis was very much on push pushing towards new new projects and trying new things. Even the short story magazine itself, which was also called McSweeney's, had this commitment to kind of re- redesign itself every time and appear in a new physical format. So we were not even repurposing our own internal InDesign templates a lot of the time. And I think that stance definitely softened in the last few years and and we started to see, you know, maybe some more intriguing ways to really, I think, extend the life and extend the reach and extend the audience of some, some of the projects we were taking on. So, and, and, and in a lot of cases for us, that's, that's maybe meant finding collaborators who. can help us take some of that work in new directions so we we have an ongoing partnership with audible now that that is letting us take a lot of the stories we've published over the years into an audio format which was really just sort of you know sort of beyond beyond our our means before they opened that door for us and 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 i think it's something that that is thought about more now with with every project whether there are sort of sensible ways to keep keep it keep it going in in new forms without without seeming, you know, truly repetitive.
2: So, when do you change directions? Was that in response to a specific strategic objective you decided we're going to do this or did it happen more organically where you just found opportunities and kind of uh
1: followed those? Yeah, I I would say organic over strategic is, is generally uh the course of action for sure. You know, I think I think it had to do with with really just sort of getting comfortable with extending ourselves in those Directions. You know, it's it's a very lean operation. Just just a, you know, few people covering a lot of different projects in the office. And I think the ethos is is very much about you know tr- trying to present everything in its in its best possible form and and to think very thoroughly about you know why this particular book is you know has 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 these proportions and these materials and this this design and and really try to think through the manifestation of it. Which I, I think is a, a really useful process and, and, and it definitely allowed us to really push push ourselves toward rigor in, in a lot of different cases. But I think that that logic was, was part of the reason why we leaned away a little bit from sort of quick quickly putting out, you know, you know, half a dozen different iterations of a given project. And and I think over time we'd sort of just got to be more confident that we could see things move into these other forms and be just as successful and just as engaging as as we wanted them to be originally.
2: Could you speak more a little bit more to the the benefits of expanding your reach uh, when you use opportunities like when you're uh, trying to sell the idea to each other or to someone? What are the specific goals that you have in mind when you're deciding? Well, let's take this and now let's put it on in an audio format or something.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the goals that resonate with me are maybe maybe may hard to articulate. Super objectively, but I'll give an example of another another project that I think has informed a lot of my thinking about this this kind of approach. Even though you know its its sort of particular track record is probably not particularly replicable. So we did a book with Beck, the musician, a few years ago. It was a it was a project called Song Reader, and it was an idea that he had been germinating for a number of years at that point. And he 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 had had the idea probably back in 2005 or so to do an album entirely in the form of sheet music. So there would be no authoritative recorded version of any of the songs. They would only exist on paper as notation for essentially anyone to pick up and realize themselves. And he he had very kindly come to McSween's with that idea early on, and we'd sort of reconnect every few years, and it finally came together around 2012. We made this book that, that I felt quite... Proud of a, a really sort of beautiful artifact, very informed by the history of this one-time immensely popular medium. These song sheets that you would you know pick up at the, the sort sort of general store, department store that was sort of the you know hit hit billboard records of their time. And and you know it was it was it was a bit of a, a leap of faith in a way to try to sell you know a, a, a pretty ambitiously packaged collection of guitar and piano sheet music essentially through an independent book publisher. We didn't, you know, have any particular distribution connection to the music store world or to record stores or or to places like that. And the fascinating thing that happened with that book was, in the years between when Beck had first had this idea and the years when the 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 year when the book finally appeared, YouTube had been invented, and this entire participatory culture of audience interaction had really Appeared, you know, almost de novo, and and grown to this incredible scale, w- and which I ch- changed the reception of the project really dramatically. And and what I mean is, it changed it from an experiment that we would sort of have to explain and define for people into something that I think people sort of intuitively knew how to engage with and how to interact with. And you know, we immediately saw a, a really big response of people who understood that they were supposed to take this book home and record themselves playing these songs and put it on soundcloud or put it on youtube and that connection was made almost instantly which opened a a, a lot of doors for the project pretty quickly where we were able to see it have a kind of great number of successes in sort of drastically different forms to you know from uh these these sort of audience-based internet-based engagements with it to live live shows done with our participation and without our participation, you know, all, all the way from sort of very tiny indie productions up to a collaboration with the Los Angeles Philharmonic to sort of other recorded iterations of it. And, you know, Beck going out and playing it on tour and taking the book on tour with him there. And, you know, so, I mean, I and obviously you would not really see see that exact same trajectory happen with more conventional titles. I, you know, it, it was certainly a unique Situation, but it was it was definitely very enlightening for me to see how you could respond to the way a book was being received in real time, and and sort of change your plans on on the fly based on what just just based on where it's resonating in in the wider world. Rather right? rather than sort of uh, sticking rigidly to the original plan, you 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 can ac- actually let a project be reinvented a little bit once it's out in the world
2: do you ever find that you have something that just doesn't make sense? It only, it's, it really just, it exists as it exists. And there's just no opportunities really for repurposing this or putting this out there in any other way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would be reluctant at this point to draw a hard and fast line. You know, there, there are certainly things that we, we don't put a great deal of time into rethinking and reinventing over, over and over again. You know, we still in some ways come, come from that place of, Want wanting to, you know, put put something out in its in its best form and let that stand. But you know, I I I would say that the McSweeney stance would would be more that you know each each sort of incarnation of of a project sort of has to have its own unique reasons for existing. And we would try to, we I mean I I think we would definitely try to make sure that each edition of a book or you know even even non non physical editions of of books have, have some sort of distinctive quality or or some some level of intention behind them so so it doesn't feel like you're just getting you know a kind of poor quality xerox of the the original intention
2: in terms of drawbacks do you ever worry that you're overusing anything or do you think there's a risk of overexposing content in various ways where know, various overlapping audiences of yours will get tired of something
1: yeah i mean i am, I imagine there is at at some point i don't think it's something that McSweeney has strayed terribly close to, you know, because of that sort of traditional orientation toward the other extreme. So, and, and, you know, I, I, and, and I think that, you know, probably again, just comes back to that idea of, you know, trying to be thoughtful about each iteration of a project and trying to, uh, you know, have, have each iteration speak for itself in, in some way and, and advocate for its own, Existence, and I, I think if you're doing doing that, then it it feels pretty reasonable to see and to to see books progressing into paperbacks, to see to you know see us releasing excerpts in different ways, to you know see us promoting them online in different ways, and and sort of continuing to explore all all the ways that they can find find their audiences.
2: Is there ever an urge to? or maybe even at the back of your minds or anyone's minds to keep an eye out for emerging platforms. Like think about while well, there's medium is blowing up or um, podcasting is big, for example, uh, we should figure out a way to get some content on that platform because it's doing well. Does the thinking ever
1: work in that direction? I, yeah. I mean, I, I I would say that more, more off, often we would find ourselves, you know, really waiting for the irresistible opportunity, and and a lot of that was just a function of being being such a small operation. We we you know ev- ev- even in the forums we were accustomed to working in, we we were making choices between projects and and having to sort of ration our resources and our staff time. So we we were never really in a position where we we could be too free with our attentions, I would say. But you know we're certainly I think like everyone else. Trying to pay attention to those developments and pay attention to where interesting things are happening and and just con- continuing to take in uh you know all, all, all the stuff that is is being tried out there you know i I would say that you know late later generations of small publishers who who, who did come up in a time where they needed to be t- defined more fully on those other platforms you know i i I would say we we'd take cues from them if anything.
2: You mentioned uh, you're a pretty small team, uh, so logistically speaking, how do you keep lines of communication open between different um, between different editors or content creators to generate these ideas or to share uh, ideas for ways that things can be uh, repurposed across different platforms?
1: Well, it's just one room in uh, out in the Mission District in San Francisco, so it's generally pretty easy to keep in touch. But I, you know, I think we. Over the years, tried tried sort of different di- di- different ways to keep ourselves or- organized and and give give everyone chances to sort of think through the possibilities for projects. So we would have you know sort sort of various meeting rhythms at different at different times. You know, and and depending on the staff structure at different times. You know, the the staff itself, you know, well, you know, it, it, it's pretty consistently been fairly small, but but it has sort of roles roles have shifted and people's emphasis have, has shifted. Depending on what the project load is at 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 various times over the years, but yeah, I, I I don't know if I have too much wisdom to impart on that front. I, I would say we were a a fairly feet of the pants operation for for much of my time there.
2: I can definitely relate. We're a very small office too. <laughs> Pretty much turn around and tell your neighbor what you're thinking.
1: There you go. Yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, so you mentioned working with Audible. Do you do a lot of partnerships where where you uh you look outside to other companies uh who are specialists in different platforms to um to work with your content? I mean you also mentioned YouTube, which is fairly DIY. I mean you use the platform. But I mean how much do you uh look to outside organizations to partner with in general, I guess is what I'm asking.
1: Yeah, I it it I would say it's something that became more regular over the last few years and, and it wasn't a big feature of the operation. Before that, and and Audible is even the rarer case maybe where it is both an outside partnership and one relying on existing McSweeney's created work. And I think the more often case with those partnerships is that we would actually be collaborating on original content or some uh, so some so, so some other original idea with 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 that partner and and you know trying to make something to order essentially. And part of that is is just because you know sort of looping back to Aspect of this that I mentioned earlier, which, which is, is, is that is really just doesn't tend to hold on to the rights that would allow us to really, re- really get out there and 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 try to you know re- repackage things out, outside of our own umbrella. So so when we are working with partners, you know it, it, it it'll it'll tend tend to tend to be more of a situation of you know going back to writers or artists that we've worked with and collaborated with and and asking them to make something new with us.
2: So, do you have any advice for other, maybe small publishers who are trying to think more, uh, more outside the box in terms of how to use their own content, or, or just um, thinking about different ways to um, branch out into other platforms?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would say that you know, in, increasingly there is, there is no canonical way to approach this, which I, I think is an exciting and and freeing. Situation in, in some ways, uh, you know, and 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 it, it was it was certainly a posture that that McSweeney's had, had assumed fairly early on. That you know, our our sense was that our audience was really making an affirmative choice to you know pick up one of our hardcovers if that if that's what they were going to be doing. So we wanted to feel like we were making the argument for for that choice and 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 ma- 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 making the argument why you would pick up that book instead of reading it online or or reading it in paperback or getting it from the library or doing something else entirely you know buying buying a record or buying a burrito or or whatever whatever it might be that was you know take, taking up your disposable income instead and and i th- i think that was very very helpful to always keep in the back of our mind that the job was not done once we had finished preparing a manuscript, that, that it was not just a matter of, you know, jamming it into one bucket or another and putting it on the shelf, that there was a lot more work to do still in terms of make, making the case for why something was existing in, in the way that it did. So, I mean, I, I, I would say that, that rather than trying to push folks in one direction or another, I I I, I would always just encourage people to make sure that they can Finish. Finish that sentence themselves in, in terms of how are they're they're distributing something, whether it is in in a printed format or whether it is you know a digital serial or whether it's an audio only project or whether it's you know something they're tasting on the corner of their building. I think in in every case it can be useful to think about why why that form is the form being chosen and and what you can do to sort of maximize the advantages of that particular form because in, in, in every case there are things you can do that you can't do somewhere else. You know, you can do different things in a printed book than you can do on a poster or on a podcast and, and vice versa. So it's, it's always useful to take advantage of, of the advantages that you have.
0: Thanks to Jordan for joining me on this month's episode. You can hear more from him and other industry experts at our repurposing content panel at Tech Forum on March 24th in Toronto. If you're interested in learning more about Tech Forum or the other work we do, please visit booknetcanada.ca. We gratefully acknowledge the financial support of the Government of Canada through the Canada Book Fund for this project. And of
1: course, thanks to you for listening.